December, guys. I know it doesn't feel like it because it's 84 degrees today, but it is December. We're in Advent. Advent, just a fancy way of saying arrival, is the period of time before Christmas when we prepare to celebrate the arrival of Jesus on earth. And as uh, everyone mentioned, we are beginning our series um, for this Advent series called Long Expected Hope. Hope by definition, is the confidence that, uh, that a certain expectation will be fulfilled. For example, every time we jump, we put hope in gravity to return us safely to the ground. Uh, when we board an airplane, we put our hope in aeronautical engineering to stay up high. Um, when we drink milk, we hope that the expiration date is correct. Um, most essential oil products are marketed to the hope that peppermint can reverse hair loss or you know, snoring or diphtheria. <laughs> I'm sorry, listen, I love the oils. I love the oil people. My best friend is an oil person. Uh, You are my finest smelling friends and I hope that I haven't offended you. If I have, I hear lavender's great for relaxation. (laughs) But we market to hope, right? We market to it. Every bad romantic Christmas movie preys on the hope of women everywhere that they too will fall in love with a lumberjack and it turns out that, you know, he owns Scotland. Hallmark has really ruined hope for us in this way. In the words of my husband, Rob, when a man says, I've been keeping something from you, it is never that he's a prince. (laughs) Hope, the confidence that an expectation will be fulfilled, it can be a good thing provided that uh, the object of our hope is reliable. What we put our hope in determines whether we will be fulfilled or disappointed. Our reading this morning uh, was from Luke. Uh, The gospel writers had an immense amount of source material to to draw from. They had to decide what to include, what to focus on, what facet of Jesus' character they wanted to hone in on. And for Luke, uh, the theme appears to be love. Not just for uh, the bride of the church, but for each individual within that church, for a wide variety of individuals. Luke's genealogy of Jesus, it, it begins with Adam, not with Abraham, which is significant of the inclusion of Gentiles in salvation history. He gives us the Good Samaritan, Naaman the Syrian, the Roman centurion, foreigners, Mary and Elizabeth, this teenage girl and this old woman. Luke has a deep interest in conveying God's love for all people, regardless of their credentials, the, 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 the deep and tender and, and, and very personal love of God. Luke's gospel is also a singing gospel. We will see this next week. You're gonna hear the Magnificat, Mary's song. You're, you're gonna hear in this book, Zechariah's song, when his son John the Baptist is born, Simeon's song, when, when this old priest beholds the baby Jesus in the temple and says, now I can die in peace for I have seen your salvation. The verb rejoice appears more in Luke's gospel than it does in any other New Testament book. It is a gospel of love and joy and, and tremendous hope. But it begins with a very dubious announcement. Most of you know this story. Mary is a girl. She's probably not older than 15. She's engaged to a man named Joseph and she's visited by an angel who says, you are going to conceive a child and, and he will be called son of the most high God. And she willingly embraces this call. And that all initially sounds like great news, but consider the circumstances. Social norms were incredibly different in first century Judea than they are now. Women were considered property of of their fathers and later on their husbands. They could be leveraged against debts. They could be used in business transactions. Also, we know that Mary's pregnancy will occur before the wedding. Now we know from Matthew's account that at some point, uh, Joseph receives an angelic dream telling him the truth, but there was a gap. You understand there was a gap between when Mary was found to be pregnant 
And when Joseph receives the truth in the dream, and not only that, there was no promise even made to Mary that Joseph was gonna get that dream. She didn't know what was gonna happen. And so when she agrees to this willingly, faithfully, I am the Lord's servant, let it be done to me as you have said, the, 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 the danger of what she has accepted is gravely serious. Deuteronomy called for death by stoning of a woman who had committed Mary's perceived sin. And to this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. She has to accept the possibility, in fact, the probability that Joseph will divorce her and that she'll be left to fend for herself and her child in poverty and shame. And to this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Even if Joseph doesn't leave her, even if he doesn't leave her, people are gonna know. You know, when that baby bump starts poking out before they take their vows, they're gonna know. They're gonna assume that she cheated. And, and of course they would. I mean, there's only been one virgin birth, right? And there was none before that. So people are gonna get understandably suspicious. Mary knew that she would be marked forever with a scarlet letter, the unfaithful wife of a bastard child for the rest of her life. And to this she says, I am the Lord's servant. So how does she have the courage to do this? How does this teenage girl with, with no real options have the courage to, to endure to take on that kind of risk? Why do we have the courage to jump or to board an airplane or to drink the milk from Publix? Because we are putting our hope into something that is proven to be reliable. Mary's putting her hope in the right place. She's putting her hope in the knowledge of a God who is and who has been faithful to her. It's also important to note uh, what Mary is not putting her hope in. Mary is not very clearly putting her hope in the idea of this being an easy path because she knows, she knows if she puts her hope in that, that hope is going to be disappointed. Remember that the, the object of our hope is important. My dad, um, he just, he goes completely nuts over gadgets. He's addicted to them, whatever the newest technology is, he buys it because he really believes like this, this machine will save my life. You know, it will, it will generate side income. It will establish world peace. It will vacuum my home daily. And you know, it's like a lot of pressure for a wireless speaker. So he's always a little bit disappointed. But he always buys, you know, the next best thing, always hoping it's gonna be the last gadget that he'll ever need. And I keep trying to tell him like, dad, they design this stuff so that you have to replace it in a couple of years. You know that, right? But he doesn't believe me. So he's always like a little disappointed. My dad also loves to buy gadgets for me, even though I have proven to be technology repellent, uh, but he still does it. Um, I, I do, however, have a very bad sense of direction. And so a few years ago when my dad bought me my first GPS before they were all on our phones, uh, I was understandably really, really excited. And at that time, that Garmin was cutting edge. I mean, it was just covered in thick wires, roughly the size of a regulation soccer ball with a screen the size of a Jolly Rancher. It was glorious. Um, and, 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 I, and I really hoped, you know, I had hoped like now I will finally know where I'm going in life, in the city of Pittsburgh, vocationally, you know, all of it. it, it but the net effect was that I became rather worse at directions than better. Uh, now I can't find any, I can't find a bathroom without using the GPS. I've been crippled by my own misplaced hope in technology. You understand, H having hope in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing. It can be a terrible thing if the object of your hope is unreliable. It's gonna let us down. Mary chooses something reliable and that's not the idea of an easy life, and she knows it. She, she puts her hope in the character of God. She says, yes, without certainty that any of this is gonna turn out well, without certainty that, that, that this will be easy, without certainty she won't be ostracized, without, without even certainty that she will stay alive, but she says, yes, 
because she has certainty in the character of God. She puts her hope in what's reliable. What's your hope in this Christmas? Is it reliable? Really? I think in the U.S. sometimes we, we put our hope in the Christmas season itself that, that you know, it's going to be just so wonderful, but that's not reliable. I mean, December 26th is coming, and, and just like last year, the day before will not have fulfilled all our hopes and dreams. And we have other options too, you know, wealth, power, connections, appearance, information, our kids, our spouse. We could put our hope in any of these things. I, I find that I often put my hope in the idea of happiness itself or ease or comfort. Maybe I wouldn't say it that way, but, but when life begins to get challenging, and then I get mad at God for it, I mean, what does that mean? It means that some part of me believes that I am entitled to be happy and safe and comfortable. I mean, where, where's that in the Bible? It's not in there. And it's an uphill battle for us, because like every civilization, our expectations are bent by the culture that we are immersed in, and our cultural narrative is that we are entitled to have all of our needs met, we're entitled to be comfortable and safe, so much so that the, the thought of enduring anything painful or, or dangerous or hard, especially over a long period of time, feels, feels like a sin against us. And it would be naive to think that this doesn't affect our faith. It does. It, 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 it does. It, it breeds this kind of subtle form of syncretism in us that combines you know, all the good parts about Jesus, the love, the grace, the salvation, but then attributes to him qualities that simply aren't true. Stuff that I think we really, you know, want to be true about him, but it's just not supported in scripture. Scripture Stuff like Jesus wants me to be safe and happy and rich. When I was 11 years old, we moved uh, from inner city Pittsburgh to a farm in Chippewa, Pennsylvania. And we moved into a house that used to be a chicken coop, um, albeit a, a luxurious two-story chicken coop. It was a converted chicken coop nonetheless. Um, the farm was... Uh, sparsely inhabited by humans, but it had a large amount of livestock, including two very friendly donkeys named Butch and Cassidy. And uh, my brother and I spent more um, kind of unsupervised hours on this farm than were probably good for us. And I think that can be kind of summed up in one incident involving Butch the donkey. You can really only be the new kids on the farm for so long before you start to wonder, will this animal let me ride it? And <laughs> And my brother began to explore that possibility with Butch the donkey. And to, uh, to do this investigation, he constructed a tool for himself, um, which consisted of a long stick with a carrot tied to the end of it, just straight Bugs Bunny style. And, uh, and because he was such a generous brother, he let me have the first ride, of course. So there I am, 11 years old, astride Butch the wild donkey, no saddle holding naught but a stick with a carrot on the end of it. And Jason kind of backs up a pace to look at everything that he's done here. And he has a satisfied grin on his face and he just says, this is gonna work. <laughs> it didn't. Uh, unless working means Jason smacked the donkey's butt who then took off, up, took off up a hill and threw me into a thorn bush, in which case it worked perfectly. My, my brother's confidence in this scheme was what? It was some combination of a misunderstanding of how farm animals work and also like a deep uh, belief in the things that we learned on Looney Tunes. I mean, he had no good reason to believe that this was gonna work. He had reasons, yes, but they weren't good reasons. When we combine what is true with what we just want to be true, and not just, I mean, about anything, about farm animals, about life, about God, when we combine what is true with what we want to be true, what happens? 
we end up holding carrots on sticks, going nowhere. And we don't understand why we're not moving in the direction we thought we would. We, we are deceived. And, and, and of course we lose faith in God because we have these expectations of him that end up being wholly outside the scope of his promises. Expectations that we have no good reason to have, but we have them all the same. And when he doesn't meet those expectations, we think there's something wrong with him. And then we feel abandoned by God because I don't feel safe or happy or comfortable. So I guess, you know, I guess God isn't all that powerful. Or if he is, then I guess he just doesn't love me that much. Because life is so hard right now. Because I'm still alone this Christmas. Because he didn't get better because we lost the baby. I mean, where is God when my heart is breaking? Guys, I'm telling you, he may be closer now than he has ever been. Because listen, this is important. When life gets hard, that does not mean that God is withholding his blessings. Mary was saluted by an angel. She's called highly favored by God Almighty. The angel declares that God himself is with, with her. Mary's blessed, right? She's blessed, but if blessing amounted to ease of circumstance, that is not a word we could use about her. Because this baby's gonna cost her and she knows it because she's gonna have, have to watch him grow up but then suffer and die and we know it. Mary is blessed, yes, but remember, God calls blessed the poor, the meek, the hungry, the persecuted. God may not be far off from you at all. It's possible that he's just blessing you within an inch of your life. God is not reneging on his promise of ease and comfort because God never promised that. Sometimes I wish he had, but he didn't. The enemy wants us to have all the wrong expectations of God because then he can rob you twice. First he robs you of the thing you're expecting and then he can rob you of hope itself, which he loves to do. Because if we give up hope, then we can't be disappointed anymore and somehow that seems better. Don't let him. Remember the Minor Prophet series, God makes great and glorious promises to us for the future. And on a long enough timeline, every single one of them will come true. But, but some of those promises aren't for today, they're for tomorrow. God's promise to us in the present is just to be with us. It's just to be with us. And, and God is certainly with Mary in the most personal sense of that word. He is with her spirit and now he is within her womb. And Mary says, yes even though she knows it's gonna cost her. She says yes, because her hope is in exactly the right place, not in her own comfort, but in God's promise to be with her in such a way that will eventually bring comfort to us all. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. One thing I do wanna mention, Faith does not mean that we don't ask questions. I hope you do ask questions. I want you to ask questions because I want you to know like in your bones why you believe what you believe and you have to ask questions to get there. Asking questions doesn't necessarily demonstrate a lack of faith. Sometimes it's just a desire to know more and that's okay. That desire may not always be fulfilled, but it's okay to have it. Mary asks a question. 
questions don't necessarily mean a lack of faith. It certainly it can. When when Zechariah is told by the angel that he'll have a son, uh, he he asks a question, but his question essentially amounts to prove it. Um, although I, I I can't be hard on him. Um, like I, my heart kind of goes out to Zechariah because he was an old man. You know, he had lived a lot of life, and I think it's possible that he had been conditioned by disappointment to be skeptical of hope. There are certainly times that that's been true in my life. There are seasons that I've wanted something so badly that I was afraid to pray for it because I couldn't handle what it would mean for my faith if God said no. Disappointment can beat us up. And I know that. And Zechariah barely has it in him to believe that, that an older woman could get pregnant. I, maybe youth makes faith easier. I don't know. I could see that. But God, God is so tender with our broken hearts that even in his unbelief, Zechariah still receives the blessing. He still gets his son, his grief is over, his wife's shame is removed, though in fairness, God does tell him to shut up and watch in the meantime. But God's not threatened. God's not threatened by your questions. God is big enough to handle our questions even when, even when they do betray a lack of belief. But not all questions do. Not all questions come from a lack of faith. I desperately try to convince my husband of this when he says something to me like, it's your gas cap. And I'm like, but how could my gas cap trigger the check engine light? I have faith in his diagnosis. I just, you know, I just want to know why I should. <laughs> not all questions come from a lack of faith. Mary doesn't say, prove it. She doesn't say, prove it, Gabe. And she doesn't say, prove it, because Mary remembers her own history. Mary connects herself to, to the collective story of God's people, to all of her ancestors. She, she connects herself to this history to which all of us belong. All of us who have been grafted into the vine of Christ, we all now belong to that same history. When we come to faith in Jesus, we become God's adopted children, which means his family history is now our family history. You understand what that means? It means that it was for us that he made his covenant with Abraham. It was for you. It was for you that, 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 that he parted the Red Sea. It was for you that he brought water from the rock and manna from heaven. In Mary's estimation, God has been proving it for hundreds of years now. That's why she didn't say prove it. She says, how's this gonna happen? I mean, I'm a virgin, but I have an idea of reproductive biology. You know, how, how's this gonna happen? Mary, she already believes him. She's just asking for the mechanics. It's okay to ask how. It's okay to ask when. But, but please don't let the enemy rob you of your hope so that you begin to ask if. God hasn't left you. He's near right now, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Life was about to get very, very hard for Mary, but not because God left her, but rather because he'd come nearer now than he'd ever been. And Mary said yes, even though she knows it's gonna cost her. Mary looks at his history of faithfulness, not just to her, but to everyone he's loved before her, and Mary says yes. What's God asking you to say yes to? What's stopping you? Is it certainty? You don't need that, because God is with you. I, I almost didn't marry my husband because I thought he wasn't funny, uh, don't, don't judge me, Christians, like you've never been shallow. 
Now, he is very funny, but when we started dating, uh, we discovered that we found different types of humor very funny. For example, um, I think it's really funny when someone says something and someone respond, and it could be interpreted two different ways and someone responds to what is clearly the wrong interpretation. Uh, for example, um, a couple of years ago, I texted my dad at Christmas, look, I made, made gingerbread men with the baby. And he texts back, how much of the baby is left? <laughs> Which, yeah, I think that's hilarious. Rob, not so much. Um, but he also likes The Office and I don't at all, so I know you're all gonna side with him anyway. Our differences, um, you know, they didn't end there. He absolutely loves to go on all the adventures. I absolutely love to read about the adventures in books. Uh, I'm a delicate flower of a human being. I'm afraid of everything. He's afraid of nothing. Um, so we disagree a lot. We disagreed sometimes on big things, sometimes on really stupid things. Uh, like, for example, our first big epic fight was about whether or not it was okay for our friend Dan to make earrings for his girlfriend out of the little, the little paws of a dead squirrel. <laughs> but then who hasn't had that fight, am I right? <laughs> so, so when I was deciding whether or not I was gonna marry him, uh, you know, I kept asking God, like, is this, right, is this the right decision for me? And don't get me wrong, you should absolutely ask God what the right decision is for you. I'm not underselling prayer. I'm just saying there is such, things, uh, there is a such thing as a non-moral decision, right? And, and God knows me. I was looking for absolute certainty. I wanted certainty uh, because this person was very different from me and so there was risk involved and I wanted a certainty that would eliminate that risk altogether. I wanted a clear yes or a no that I'm supposed to marry this person um, and, and I wanted that certainly, a certainty as a kind of insurance that God would take care of all my needs because if times got tough, I could look back on that yes and say, well, God's gonna take care of us because he said yes, he told me yes to marry Rob or, or if times got so tough that our marriage failed, I could look back on that yes and say, well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault because God told me to marry him, so it's not my fault, it's God's fault. I asked that question more times than I can count, but I heard no yes or no from heaven. Uh, much to my frustration, what I did hear was God's question in return. Do you trust me? Do you trust me to give you what you need? Do you trust me to give you what you need no matter which path you take, no matter what happens? I mean, how have I done with your willfully bad decisions that makes you think that I wouldn't be faithful in this one, which you're trying to be faithful in yourself. Now, I, I believe that, that my choice to marry Rob or not marry Rob both would have been within the realm of God's um, boundaries for me. It was a non-moral decision. Neither choice violated you know, the scriptures as his will revealed in scriptures or the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in me. So at the end of the day, I, I just had to choose. The challenge that I faced was having enough faith to trust God for my needs without certainty that everything would turn out okay. God knew, he knows me. He knew that certainty would be of little use to me if it came at the expense of growing my faith. And I love my marriage. I have a great marriage, but guys, marriage is still very hard. And if my hope had been in marriage being easy, I would have certainly been disappointed. So, so my hope in, in my best moments, my hope is that God will be with me, especially when it gets hard for us. And in that hope, I have yet to be let down. I wanna live like Mary, with my hope in the right place. I wanna live like the words of the silver chair, whether he means us to live or die, let us descend into the city and take the adventure that he sends us. God doesn't give us a roadmap, right? He gives us a compass, and, and, and frankly, it's probably better that we don't know too much, because if we did, if I did, I might never take any steps forward. 
Mary says yes without certainty, that it will be easy without the assurance that it won't be scary or hard, but she's able to say yes because her, her hope is in the right place, or rather, it's in the right one. Her hope is in the God of the universe, whose presence in her womb will certainly cause her more heartache, but whose presence there will also eventually wash all heartache away. He was with her. He promised to be with her. He certainly was, and he promises to be with you too. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being with us. Thank you that even though you are God Almighty and you were required to do none of it, you chose to make your home here on earth with us so that we might come to understand who you are and what you've done for us and that we might be able to walk across your bridge back to God. Lord, thank you for not abandoning us to our own devices. Thank you for loving us so much that you shed your regal garments and your heavenly body and you came here to live as man so that you could be near to us and so we could learn to be near to you. Lord, show us what it is that you want us to say yes to and give us the courage to do it. Help us to know that we can take each step forward in the knowledge that you are with us, that 2,000 years ago you came to be with us and you will be with us forever. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we put our hope. Amen.